Hello and welcome to Cruisin' for a Reviewsin', the podcast where I get a friend to watch a Tom Cruise movie they've never seen before and then review it with me. I'm your host, Cara Westworth, and today I'm joined by my pal, Jimmy. Hi, it's wonderful to be here. I thank you profusely for not only joining me, but also cramming four Mission Impossible movies, five actually, mm. in a very short amount of time so that you could join me today. Yeah, yeah, I've learned a lot about the series over the last three days. Amazing. I can't think of a better way to watch these movies than just in a very short amount of time. It's a fascinating series. There's so much to unpack. I love it. Are you a fan of action movies? I love general? I love watching stuff explode. It's so much fun. Just, you know, jumping out of helicopters, th- seeing things explode, gunshots. It's just beautiful escapism. It is. It is. And that's why I like, I mean, I, I watch just about any movie except romantic comedies pretty much. And it's because I just sometimes mm-hmm. I just want to escape and I just want to see things happen that I'll never get to see happen in my real life <laughs> and imagine that it's me flying out of a helicopter at top speed <laughs> with no parachute or something. Oh. <laughs> the thought of it actually happening makes me want to die, but the fantasy is very exciting. Okay, well, we are back with another Mission Impossible movie. This one is called Rogue Nation. It is the fifth, obviously, and it was released in 2015. It is directed by Christopher McQuarrie. He's actually quite new to directing. He had directed the Jack Reacher films with Tom Cruise, and otherwise he's actually been more of a writer. And yeah, he's um, sort of branched out into directing and I'm quite a big fan. I think he's quite a competent director and um, this is the first of two that he's done so far Mission Impossible because he directs the next one Ah. and he's actually directing the two following. That's interesting. I didn't know that. That's really interesting because the first four movies, the first five counting this one are actually all directed by different people. They have very different visual language throughout Mm. all of them. So I didn't, it's interesting because these movies kind of feel like Tom Cruise getting a chance to play around with his friends yes. and to experiment and do new things with people he hasn't worked with before or with uh, people that he's interested in working with. So mm-hmm. it's interesting to find out that we're getting three in a row from the same person. That's Well, four. A four. Yeah, oh. they're, they're directing the last two together at the same time. Oh, Well, they wow. were until they got shut down for coronavirus, for- <laughs> but they will, they're starting to film again now. Okay. And yeah, so... I don't know what happened. I think that Christopher McCarver was just so on board. I think he was helping. He's been writing a lot of Tom Cruise movies. Mm. Like I know he helped write Valkyrie and a few other films, but he almost exclusively writes for Tom wow. Cruise now. Like, I mean, he does other stuff, but like he did The Mummy and done, done all these, done Jack Reacher. So I think it's just one of those things where two creatives yeah. find each other and go, hey, we work really well together. Let's just keep doing it. Yeah, it's a Burton, um, Burton and uh, Elfman style mm. deal where they've just sort of gotten together and worked really, really, and that is actually one of the things that I wanted to comment on in this movie is how well it's shot. I didn't know this was his first movie. Mm. Not, not his first movie. What first... of his first, his first, I think it's like third or fourth. Oh, okay. But yeah, very, very well put together and some of the shots are just mm. stunning. And it's really interesting how his style is not, even though he's a writer, he writes a lot of the movie as they go along. Like he might have a basic outline for the story, but mm. if they film something really kick-ass, they're like, we're going to incorporate that. And sometimes in Hollywood movies, by doing that, the storyline becomes disjointed or nonsensical or ridiculous, mm. but somehow he manages to make the story keep working, even though... Yeah, it's had a very good narrative flow, and it was one of the uh, really easy to follow what was going on. Yeah, was... I think it was easier than the last one. I think the last one got a little bit complex because I, as a pleb, do not understand how satellite, like bombs and satellites and all that stuff works. So they had to, they were explaining all the different steps, and I was still like, what the hell? I have no idea what's going on. But this, yeah, it felt, it was just, we're going after this one group of people and these are the ways we're doing it and it was 
pretty straightforward. Very cohesive. Cohesive is the word there yeah. I wanna wanna use. It's very sort of every scene in this movie was about advancing the story. Yes. And that's a really, really good thing uh to have in a in an action movie like this. And I think that a lot of the twists and turns that happened in this movie were telegraphed really, really well mm-hmm. as a result of having such a coherent this is what we're doing, this is why. And they made the really effective twists, yeah. I, I thought. Yeah. yeah. Well we'll we're going to talk about the plot. We are obviously. going to talk about it. We may as well, we may as well get straight into it, <laughs> mm-hmm. eh? All right. So it's just Ethan Hunt doing his thing again. Uh, we have the team back. So we have Benji, played by Simon Pegg. We have uh, Luther, played by Ving Rames. And we unfortunately have Brandt by Jeremy Runnerback. Uh, I... If you listen to my last podcast, you know exactly how I feel about Jeremy Renner, as in fuck Jeremy Renner. <laughs> but he's back and he's actually the head of the IMF, I guess. Well, you, see, it, it's hard in my mind because in the last movie, the head of IMF was the stunning Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> no, that was the third one. Was it? Oh, No. Man. Fourth one was just briefly we saw, I can't remember the actor's name, and he was shot in the car and then oh. it was flipped over into the water. If you're, you're keen to, you can listen to the, <laughs> the the cruising for reviews and about Mission Impossible three for more details on this specifically, <laughs> but yeah no I I I understand it's hard because Jeremy Renner's character is supposed to be the one that follows all the rules and is supposed to be the one who calls Tom Cruise on his bullshit yes <laughs> which I mean he has to find the balance there. yes and I get why why you see him as <laughs> as an asshole and the the heel and the well bad in the guy. last movie he was just he was just. <laughs> A ring in, so but he was still being that person, which yes. is why I'm like, shut up, Brand. <laughs> yeah, so I get why. Like in this one, I get why he has to be like he is mm. because that's his job, yeah. and he can't just let Ethan Hunt just do fucking cartwheels off a building and shoot every prime minister in mm. the world. Like that's ridiculous. But I, I do think in this one he did find a kind of good justification for doing the things that he did. Yes. That doesn't make him less of an asshole. Yeah, and I just hate Jim Runner for existing. So <laughs> fair. <laughs> That's just me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So we start off with an impressive stunt, and it doesn't exist for any reason except to be an impressive stunt. Yes. It's just one of those ones where it's like a cool thing at the start that doesn't really have anything to do with the plot. It's just a cool little intro to the IMF team, especially good for people who've never watched the series before because they're just like, "Whoa, is this what I'm in store for?" Instantly, I knew who everyone was yep. and what they were doing yeah so it's, <laughs> it's um benji in some long grass and branson they're going where are you where are you basically they have to get something off a plane but the plane's about to take off and they're panicking because they are having trouble accessing it luther has been brought in he's somewhere else in malaysia on another project and he's hacking into the russian te- uh, satellite and it's all very hectic the plane's starting brand's yelling everyone's panicking and then they're like where's ethan we're like we're not in communication we don't know and then all of a sudden ethan breaks on to the earpieces and is like can you open the door and benji's like oh yeah so ethan joins us by running across the hill and leaping onto the plane's wing and the plane has just started moving and yeah ethan's gonna get into that plane if it kills him and it's it's amazing hey (laughs) there's so much to love about this scene the first thing i want to point out is that benji is in one of those grass suits yeah with the idea of being perfectly camouflaged that's such a different tone (laughs) from all of the grass around him making him very obvious and it's like (laughs) popping up like an ear cat (laughs) which was just lovely also this plane scene eh, this is the one that everyone talks about it's the one that was done real tom cruise nearly jumped out of a plane (laughs) so tom cruise 
so if you watch the making of, which I recommend because Christopher McQuarrie is also very passionate about sharing the behind the scenes stuff. In fact, he has done a few podcasts with Empire Magazine where he spends hours talking to them, breaking down the whole movie. It's like if you like that sort of stuff with your films, highly recommend listening. They show like Tom Cruise was gripping the side of a plane. I mean, you can see a few strings, but there's just like a couple of strings holding onto that plane. And like his whole thing was he wanted to keep his feet on the wing as long as possible. Then as the plane takes off, he would let his feet go. But it was before it even picked up enough speed to take off. It was so strong that he couldn't keep his feet on, which and that he did it like half. A, oh, he did it about eight times or something before he was satisfied that they'd got the right shots. Oh. So it wasn't just once or twice; it was at least eight times. This was an incredible, incredible scene to watch, and I like knowing how real, it, like it is, is just seeing like it's hard not to respect Tom Cruise. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and like all the fumes coming because apparently the fumes were just awful coming back from the. Oh. Oh, the yeah, they engine. would have to be. Oh, so I, you know, I mean, we find out. We're going to find out later that Tom Cruise is really good at holding his breath. So <laughs> we'll I mean, get he's probably there. doing that. But even though, imagine holding onto a plane and holding your breath—that is wild. Yeah. So he holds onto the plane. Uh, Benji opens a door. It's a wrong door. It's the back sort of <laughs> trap door thing at the back of the plane. Mm-hmm. Quickly manages to open this little side door that Ethan's near. So when Ethan gets sucked into the plane, he almost gets sucked straight back out the back door that was opened by accident. It's but one he- of the few times I can think of any anyone actually saying thank god there was a pile of nuclear missiles there Which is what Ethan is there to collect because uh, they don't want bad guys having all these nuclear weapons on a big like crate. Uh, so he straps himself on. A guy comes in the front to see why the back door's open. Who is the Russian dude from Stranger Things season three? Oh, it's the one that, we, I was trying to figure yeah, out yeah. who he was. I can't remember his name, but uh, yeah, he was one who mm. was you know, drinking his Slurpee. He comes out and sees nothing there. And then he looks again and Ethan's strapped himself on and just kind of waves and just gets That's... sucked out the plane. <laughs> it was more of like... I, I, I I was watching that and just thinking he's like sorry this is what i have to do <laughs> I, i'm sorry to wreck your day but this is how the day is gonna go pulls the release off you go so mission accomplished i guess then we cut to london fancy looking record store and ethan goes in there he does his whole like talk dialogue with the shop girl who obviously pass words or phrases that identify him as a imf agent she gives him a special record he goes and listens to it in a little glass and wooden booth and of course it is his next mission should he choose to accept it except twist it's not an imf thing it is this syndicate that he is that was mentioned in the last movie at the end, they have actually figured out who Ethan is and it's a setup. And when he realizes he gets up, there is a mysterious blonde man with the shop girl with a gun to her head, booth filled with gas. He passes out as a girl's shot and he's very, very devastated. This was brilliant. Mm-hmm. I loved everything about this. Uh, I love where we've, we've spent four movies learning that the message is vital to the movie. It's very good at setting stuff up where we trust it. We trust it implicitly that the message is going to help us and it's from a good guy and it's brilliant that's the first of several really good twists in this movie Mm. that they're like nope you can't like instantly there's not nothing you can trust here everything is a lie and for them to have accessed that and to know all the codes obviously it's someone who is probably a former agent or something but yeah like everything that you Ethan thinks is safe is suddenly I who knows Mm. compromised I guess is the word Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah so Ethan has been caught we now cut to Brandt he's being interrogated by the CIA director 
who is Alan Huntley, which is Alec Baldwin. Oh, I love him. <laughs> this is, like, I mean, it's a typical Alec Baldwin performance, but he's so perfectly cast in yes. this as the director of the CIA, as someone who is just sick of the IMF's bullshit. And it's just brilliant because he's being fair. He's being exactly, like, he's not twisting or out to get the IMF. The IMF. He's just pointing out how <laughs> ridiculous they are. Like, yeah. They say like your results are indistinguishable from good luck. See, but yeah, I wanted to to talk about that actually because in my mind, a good spy organization's successes should look like luck. Yeah, it should look like if we hadn't have been here, things would have worked out exactly the same way. Mm. And that's exactly what a good spy organization so, should yeah. be. But I mean, yeah, crunch numbers for the CIA, I guess. Uh, Huntley is successful and it is decided that the IMF will be disbanded and absorbed by the CIA. And yeah, that's, I mean, it's not like it hasn't technically happened before, but this is, seems a bit more official. Like it's not just, oh, that's it. They're like, okay, the CIA is just taking over and we're, whatever you're doing, CIA is going to do better. So yeah, bad bad news for the IMF and bad news for Ethan, who is now being captured and what the fuck is he going to do? So uh, we, let's find out what <laughs> Ethan's doing right now. So this is one of my favorite scenes in pretty much all of the movies because he's been captured and he's got his hands up above his head behind a metal pole and he's shirtless and it's still peak Tom Cruise looking real fine times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's tied up. How old was he when this movie was made? 2015... What is that? Five years ago, early 50, 52? In, he is an incredibly cut yeah, 52-year-old gentleman. I <laughs> have no, like, even at my youngest and fittest, I could never have been that cut. And mm. he is 20 years my senior and <laughs> fuck you, Tom Cruise, <laughs> making us all feel bad and lazy. I guess that's being a millionaire probably has something to do with that, right? Uh, yeah, so he's tied up in this pole. Uh, a brunette woman who comes in and she's very quietly, she puts some keys down on a little fluffy keychain, takes her shoes off and she's obviously there to interrogate him. But before she has a chance, some big burly goons come in and take over, one of which is a big jerk who we find out is called the, the Bone Doctor. Which is the coolest I know, name. that's actually like the coolest You can go two ways either. Like, <laughs> do you, you fix my bones? No, I break your bones. <laughs> she argues with him saying, we're not meant to kill him. We just want to interrogate him. He's like, yeah, but he's he's something like a normal guy. It's going to take a lot more to break him. He'll die before he gives anything up. So that's wailing on on uh, Ethan pretty badly. Ethan's taking it and Ethan's like, to Ilsa's like, you should leave before it gets ugly. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, yeah, all right. Yeah, so, but she, not who she seems, she picks up the key, shows it carefully to Ethan and he goes like, okay, she's on my side. So she distracts Bone Doctor. He then does a big like push kick, mm -hmm. knocks over the Bone Doctor who gets knocked out in a pole and she chucks in the key and there's a big fight or the goons that fighting Ilsa and we work out Ilsa is very competent. In fact, she is set up to be the female British equivalent of Ethan Hunt. And yeah, that's a nice big fight. Ethan can't, the key doesn't reach into the lock. So he does what he does best. And it's my favorite thing in the whole movies. And it's, it's him because you can see him doing it. He just puts his legs up and just like kicks his legs mm -hmm. a few times to get up the pole and then just soars off the top. He and basically arrows it. It's the yeah. coolest thing. It's just, like you don't think when you hear like, aerobic or acrobatic you don't normally think tom cruise but this movie has him working out the entire time yeah and like he's really good at it <laughs> yep the feat of strength it would be to just using your hands 
and the force of your kicks mm-hmm. to get yourself up and over. Like, I can't even do a chin-up. So, <laughs> I, yeah, it blows my mind. So the average player watching that in a, in a movie theatre would just be like, all right, this guy rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she actually helps facilitate getting uh, Ethan out. He says, aren't you going to come with me? No, I need to stay. Like, these are very dangerous men. I need to pretend that you escaped mm-hmm. and um, overpowered me. So he gets away and this way this mysterious woman gets to maintain her cover, whatever she's doing. Ethan does know all he knows is what she looks like it's really this is one of the performances of the movie if you ask me i was never sure if we could trust her Mm. or not and it was just a phenomenal performance by her name is rebecca faust rebecca faust rebecca faust as ilsa faust um and i oh maybe i wrote her surname wrong oh yeah i probably did rebecca rebecca ferguson ferguson excuse me uh yeah rebecca ferguson yeah she's i think she's a wonderful actress she's starting to be in a lot more things like Mm. she was in um, Doctor Sleep with Ewan McGregor. Yeah, yeah. yeah this was a stunning performance. There's a lot of uh, a lot of twists and turns that this character goes through uh, in terms of can we trust them? Can we not trust them? Are they a good guy? Are they a bad guy? Whose interests are they best representing? Mm-hmm. And it's just it's a phenomenal performance. I think yeah. one of the best ones of this movie. Definitely. Yeah, she's um she's I think she's here for good for the rest of the Mission Impossible movies. <laughs> good. We don't know what happens in the next one after Fallout, but. Mm. I imagine, yeah. So Ethan, you know, is out in the street, middle of West End in London, no <laughs> shoes on, calls Brant and is like, I need to an extraction. I know some more information about the syndicate. And Brant's like, dude, my hands are tied. I'm being disbanded. Like, I'm real sorry. So he's like, all right, I didn't make this call. You haven't spoken to me. You lost me somewhere in London. I'm going to go do this by myself. And Brant's like, good on you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I, I, yeah. I mean, this is what I was saying. I understand why there's so much hate for this guy. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, He's like, you know, do what you need to do. You know, I trust you. I shouldn't trust you because you. every time we talk, I argue. But yeah. <laughs> uh, Ethan must be just charismatic enough to keep him like, okay, I, I'm going to believe you this time. But Because mm-hmm. Huntley does not believe that there is a syndicate. Like That's the whole thing is it's mm. Ethan's imagination and he's or he's doing it to justify his crazy actions. And yeah, that's another thing that I, with Alec Baldwin's performance. This point in the movie I actually have written in my notes here is Alec Baldwin the head of the syndicate because... Mm-hmm because he was actually making very good points about how this mysterious organization that doesn't exist, why do we think that, you know, what you're saying does sound insane? And it was a little bit overselling for me yep. that I thought, oh, maybe he's actually the bad guy. Which would, in the world of Mission Impossible would not be hard to believe at yeah. all. It's always someone up, yeah. right up at the top mm-hmm. uh, having something to do with it. But uh, we cut to six months later. Ethan is doing push-ups. He does <laughs> a lot of working out in this movie. Uh, the CIA has found him, but as they won't go to bust into the room, it's actually been set up. Ethan's already moved on. He just had like a tape recorder playing, making sounds of him pushing, <laughs> doing push-ups so, to, to break I, them. <laughs> I think someone actually might have said to Tom Cruise, you know what, Tom, I don't think you're as strong as you're telling people that you are. <laughs> and Tom's gone, well, I'll show you. This whole movie is going to be me working out, you dickhead. <laughs> and so he did. We go back to Benji. He's working, so they've been absorbed by the CIA, so Benji's working there. He hates it and he's 
And he's playing some... Uh, what's he playing? It looks like... So it was definitely an Xbox plug. I think it was Gears of War was the okay. game that I saw, but I couldn't tell you what he was actually playing. Yeah, so he's playing, and as soon as someone comes walk past, he, like, quickly turns it off and pretends he's working. Which I love. <laughs> like, it's the little things, because one of the things that I've picked up over the last four movies is how I find everyone else a lot more interesting than I find Ethan Hunt. Yeah. Right? Ethan Hunt is just a generic template for Tom Cruise to do whatever character he wants to do mm-hmm. so far. I haven't actually picked up a character. But everyone else has these little character quirks yeah. <laughs> that are just so endearing. Benji is clearly a fan favorite. Oh, yeah. He, Simon Pegg, who's being a nerd, which Simon <laughs> Pegg is very good at. Who somehow became a field agent, too. Uh, like. <laughs> yeah. And, like, that's the other thing as well, is that Simon Pegg is very competent as a field agent, and that's really nice to see. Yeah. You know, it's not that he's a nerd who can't go out and do it in the field they actually have actively subverted the idea that he's useless in the field and has to stay behind a computer somewhere behind a computer somewhere he's actually really good in the field that's just a nice little subversion which is a a lot of this movie is actually very subversive Mm. in terms of action films spy films and its own franchise yeah yeah definitely (laughs) i get why it's a lot of people's favorites yeah He has to take weekly polygraph test because they're trying to find Ethan. It's been six months and they keep having dead ends, obviously. And he keeps lying in it. Well, he's actually quite convincing. He's like, he's not my friend because, you know, he leaves me here, the mm-hmm. CIA. So it seems like Brendan's really upset. However, he when he goes back to his desk, there's an envelope and it looks like he's won tickets to a some opera in Vienna. And I don't know if he's just hopeful that it's real or he's like, I'm hoping that it's Ethan contacting him. I don't know. He's like, fuck it, I'm going. Yeah. I'm going Nice. <laughs> yeah, that that for that was an interesting part for me because I honestly like. I mean, I find it hard to believe that Benji for a second believed that it was real, but I believed that Benji believed that yeah. it was real. <laughs> So he goes straight to Vienna and, I mean, obviously as soon as he gets, like, he gets off the train in his little tuxedo and this mysterious person gives him an envelope and it's got glasses, <laughs> which we're finally back from this movie. Hooray! The spy glasses. I love the glasses. It's such a cool thing. I'm, like, I'm surprised we don't have, it isn't a technology that we have now because... Oh, I, we tried. Go- yeah, Google. but they were hideous. Yeah. Like, just make them look like normal glasses. Just be a little... When are we going to have, like, micro dot technology? We just put a little dot there and suddenly it's... Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> I'm hoping that I am at the Mission Impossible movies will pave the way for this te- technology to exist at some point. So, you know, puts the glasses on and Ethan calls him straight away and explains, yeah, you didn't win the tickets. <laughs> You're here to help me. I need to find this one guy who I think runs the syndicate. I'm hoping he's going to be in the audience. Can you help me? Benji's like, yeah, I'm in, whatever. So Benji's not there to watch the uh, opera at all. He's there to sit in a cupboard on a weird computer thing that looks like an ebook. Yeah. Yeah, this was, again, really, really, like, I love the idea of hiding a laptop in a book. Yeah. Like. <laughs> it was, because it looked like yeah, like a paper white thing, but it was like, you could see faces and everything, because he was, like, looking at people, which was. Had swipe technology. It was like, yeah. well, you know what it reminded you of? The the new folding phones. Oh, yeah. That have the touch screens on both. Yeah. yeah it was very reminiscent of that in 2015. So, maybe. I'm not saying that Samsung are ripping people <laughs> off, but. If they're going to rip someone off, let yeah. it be the Mission Impossible movie. Rip off the right stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, as he's going in as well, he actually notices that the Austrian head of state 
state has entered, which is the Chancellor. They're like, ah, this is probably why the bad guys are here, isn't it? It's an assassination. Because their whole thing, they, they've figured out that this syndicate are doing bad things to destabilise governments and things. So, yeah, if the Chancellor's there, he's probably going to be the target. So, oh, and there's also, like, a really cool moment with that. So the, the technology has advanced so much in these movies so, so quickly. So when Benji has to pick a lock, he just has this little machine that just does it, it all like in, like, a, two seconds. Yeah, it looked like a phone app. And I, I've done a bit of lock picking, uh, legally, of course. Uh, but it, it, it's actually a very nice and refreshing to see. Uh, this movie is going about, instead of just punching a knife in and turning, it's actually yep. going through the process of moving the pins around. Yeah. You could see that on the app. And again, really refreshing to see that's how a lock pick works in a movie. Yeah. It was really cool. Yeah, really. The, the technology <laughs> is just, has gone up, even from the last movie. Like in number three, they were still using flip phones. And the last <laughs> one was like the f- kind of smartphones. And now it's just mm. like, oh, I've got an app for that i've got an app for that yeah wild which i guess is true reflective of how technology is with us now it just keeps every five years it's 10 times better than it was but <laughs> it's still cool to see in the movie yeah so he's sitting in a closet being a little bit miserable and he's just basically he's been given a drawing of this guy who captured ethan and I, benji has to scan the crowd to see if he can match this drawing that is actually something that i do actually i really like about the the idea of ethan hunt being this phenomenal face artist yeah is actually something that I really, really like with the idea of in the last movie drawing on Jeremy Renner's hand. Yeah, you know, and a hand drawing. Do you know this guy? And Jeremy was like, actually, yes, I do. <laughs> and I really like, and it's going to come up as well, that they actually use the drawings that Ethan does for facial recognition, which is just ludicrous. But also, it's just, that is actually a really nice little character thing. I actually yeah, really like just, that. Because, yeah, they kind of touched on it in the last movie, but this one, they actually like use his drawings like a lot to find these people. So, mm. yeah. Ethan's an excellent drawer. Like, calm down with your talents there, Ethan. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, so they're scan- scanning the crowd and Ethan's kind of hovering around waiting to find out who he needs to chase. Yeah, Bungie find- sees someone wandering around. So this guy has gotten in with a gun, but the gun was disguised as like a flute or yeah, something. some kind of, I don't like. Because they, they check it and yeah. they go over it and like, yeah, this looks like an instrument. But then when he, he actually uh, takes it out, he sets it up to not be a flute and it's like a gun. Like he goes, cock it. Yeah. And everything. It was like, what I really am like about this movie in particular is that they're going back to the idea that the technology that the agents and the uh, the bad guys have access to looks semi-realistic. Mm. Like the, the flute gun, which was just delicious. Yeah, I, I wouldn't hate guns as much if they all that beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> it was designed in such a way that it looked like a flute. No, I thought this is actually a really good, this is a spy thing. This is yes. a thing a spy would be using. Yeah, actually, because like when you think about the first Mission Impossible movie, like they really hammered in the cool tech gadgets, like the gum that you mix yeah, together and the stuff. Explosive and gum. they haven't done that a lot in the movies, but this one they've actually have been a bit more gadgety, maybe. Well, I mean gadgety, like not just gadgety, but also like semi-realistic yep. gadgety. Like this is sort of I would believe that if I was going to assassinate someone in a, a music hall setting, a weapon shaped like a flute is actually a really good and clever method for mm. getting past the security. I actually believe that that is something that spies could use. Yes. 
And I, I love that, especially because, you know, we're used to the super high tech stuff like the mask machine and stuff yep. like that from the other movies, which, you know, basically falls into computers and magic for me. Yeah. Uh, but this was like really very practical effects. Mm. I believe that this is something someone could use. Yep. And use it, he does. <laughs> oh, so yeah. uh, Benji uh, sends Ethan after him. And as Ethan's hurrying after this guy sort of backstage, he actually sees the brunette woman in this beautiful yellow dress, which, as I've mentioned in the last couple of podcasts, who is the seamstress for the IMF? Because these beautiful dresses with these giant long splits, like obviously the split is very handy because if the woman needs to like kickbox someone in the head, she has complete movement. Mm -hmm. But it's also very sexy and sensual because these women just, she sets up her, she's obviously there to be involved in this assassination plot. So she like gets up into a set pieces and puts her leg up to the end so you can just see her beautiful mm-hmm. muscular leg and everything so it's obviously one part practical one part mm-hmm. making her the femme fatale kind of <laughs> sexy character Ethan sees her and he's like did you see that woman and Benji's like no I can't even see you what the hell looking at this bloody ebook fucking <laughs> thing I don't, I don't know where anyone is so anyway Ethan narrows in on this guy and they start to have a fight which is very fun because you know it's backstage in all the rigging up above the stage so you my, know things start moving my immediate thought was this is a Smash Brothers level they're <laughs> like, <laughs> We're on a scaffolding. We're trying not to fall off. We've got acrobatic, like we're actually throwing people around. We're yeah. punching people. The scaffolding is moving at random times. And it sometimes moves to like disadvantage. <laughs> so, and also Benji's having play because he's near like an electrical box that controls all the, like a server sort of thing. And when it, his thing <laughs> blinks out, he hits it and it gets his thing working, but also sets another thing moving. But there's also works for Ethan's vantage because one time this guy he's fighting who's about two feet taller than him is strangling him but a bit of scaffolding stuff flies up and Ethan puts his feet in it so he can flip back over and get away and it's like cool it was a del- it's just a delightful little set piece fight and what's good about it as well is that I always knew where everyone was because we're keeping track of the the minister the woman in the dress uh the two the Ethan and um the bone was it the bone doctor or was it someone no the else? bone doctor is not here yeah. at the moment just as, um one of us is this really tall blonde guy mm-hmm. and meanwhile there's a, another tall very German man <laughs> uh who Benji actually ends up seeing going into the what do you call that booth that overlooks everything and they oh control. the um the light box yeah that, that'll do uh yeah so he sees so there's just these two big blonde german looking men there and meanwhile the woman in the yellow dress uh has her sights set on the chancellor another flute gun which yes. is awesome yeah which well, was also hidden in like a in the handrail mm. backstage which is like so, this is so much planning <laughs> so sometimes i think about all the planning that goes into each thing i'm like i can't be bothered with this so like <laughs> just let them win <laughs> Yeah, so they have a really quiet fight. Ethan obviously eventually overpowers. So he now has the flute gun, works out how to use it, mm-hmm. and he's actually now torn. Who does he shoot? And meanwhile, Benji has, he can't communicate with Ethan. He sees that someone is now in the booth. So Benji runs after. So no one's really got eyes on what's going on. And poor old Ethan's like, who do I, what do I do? Like, do I shoot her? Do I shoot the guy in the booth? And at the last minute, he, just before the opera singer hits the right note, which is the cue to kill him, he, Ethan's like, all right, and takes a pot shot at the, Chancellor hits him just on the edge of the arm enough to take him out but not kill him or really seriously hurt him. Again, I love this. What I'm what I love about this is that every detail has been thought out by the script writers and by uh, extension mm. the uh, the people involved in the actual plot in the story. I love this because everyone knows what they're supposed to like it's very clear that there's a high level organization of what's supposed to be happening here. I love it. I love how uh 
meticulous everything is and every decision that they make in the script in my mind is exactly the right thing to do ethan makes the right call by shooting the prime minister yeah it, it's beautiful it's a really good scene so he takes so the chancellor's fine because he just says it's just a flash of wound which is flesh wound <laughs> and they, they escape and they shut down the performance obviously and ilsa's like ah shit so she's trying to escape and she realizes everything's being locked down and as she's about to panic ethan comes up and says i have a way we can get out of here she's like okay lead the way and so because ethan's obviously like you're not who you seem to be but mm-hmm. I, and i think i can trust you so they escape in a very fun way which is they get up on the roof and like she she points her fingers shoes and it's like what it's like, shoes so it's to take her shoes like, she's very careful about her shoes and it makes me identify with her more because i feel like, she's like she hasn't bought this beautiful pair of shoes of the really trash in her escape attempt and also she can't run in those shoes so mm. which is a really cute little detail and yeah they um use like this flagpole kind of rigging thing and they use a rope float down and uh, just as they walk away the thing goes push down behind them narrowly escape and it's very nice because the yellow dress flowing down behind mm-hmm. them and everything it's just a nice little escape scene and they get out just in time to see a car which has the chancellor in it rushing to the hospital kablam it's blown up there's no kill like overkill you sent, <laughs> you've sent two assassins and put a bomb in this guy's car yeah any one of those plans do you know what would have worked the bomb well yeah like why didn't you just just use the bomb yeah it, it's very this guy wanted well, our antagonist definitely wanted this guy dead, dead. and but he also didn't <laughs> doesn't trust his own people to yeah. do the job for him so <laughs> did he trust the person who put the bomb in there even maybe he didn't trust the guy who put the bomb in there mm. so that's why he has to have yeah. <laughs> so many steps just in case one of them fails so the chancellor's killed mm-hmm. their evil mission has been accomplished they escape they flee uh benji has grabbed a car grabs them there's a bit of a car chase and they're getting shot at and meanwhile Ethan's questioning this woman it turns out her name is Ilsa Faust and she is a British agent who is working for the syndicate and basically getting intelligence for British intelligence Ethan takes some, her weapons and things off her takes her lipstick and she's like oh that shade's really hard to get but he takes it anyway bastard <laughs> and yeah she's like you have to let me go everything all my work has been for nothing so she tells them you have everything you need to know and then just throws herself out the car so that she can be picked up by the bad guys benji doesn't trust her but ethan still does this is again it comes back to to her fascinating and really great performance is throughout this i don't think we ever actually catch her in a lie Mm. i think she even though she's playing both sides and Mm -hmm. reporting to two different masters it's really interesting because she tells them both everything yes she doesn't it's sort of like everyone knows that she's a double agent and she's telling everybody everything so you never really know know whether she's really loyal to one or the other it's yep. a really really good choice mm. that both the, the yeah actress... so she they say you lied about this she's like well, no actually i didn't yeah <laughs> like, i actually told you the truth yeah but... What you do with it is your choice kind of thing. Yeah. We uh, brought back to Huntley yelling at Brandt again. Uh, basically, it's gotten to the point because the Chancellor got himself blown up. They're like, obviously, this is something to do with Ethan Hunt. We're now at the point where it's not just a side project where we're going to try and bring him in. It's our main focus and we're going to shoot to kill. So Brand's like, ah, shit, I need to do something about this. Ethan 
and Benji, meanwhile, enter a houseboat full of all this IMF tech. And Ethan's like, you've got to go back. You've got to go tell them the truth, which is that I lured you in with a prize and I tried to recruit you. You said no and you've come back home. And Benji's like, I'm a big adult. I'm a big boy now, Ethan. I'm staying. You're my friend and I want to help. So... This, for me, was one of the best scenes in the movie performance-wise. What I loved about this is the balance Tom Cruise was able to strike between manic raving and making sense. Mm -hmm. I thought that that was just brilliant, the idea where it could have gone either way. I mean, it's Ethan Hunt. He's normally right when it comes to these sort of things. But I genuinely believed that Tom Cruise was so desperate for this to be true that it might not have been. Yeah, And also... Simon Pegg is a powerhouse in this scene as well. Yeah, because he, he has to like yell and convince Ethan that he is there to help and that you can't just send me away because you, you're trying to protect me. I'm a big boy. Like I can I, I know what I'm getting into. And so Ethan's like, okay. It's also it's also really, really this is the first time I think in the series, correct me if I'm wrong, but well, the first time we've actually seen Benji stand up for himself. Yeah. The fir- I think it is. It's the first time that he's actually gone, like because especially comparing it to every other part of the movie where Benji's just doing what he's told and he's he hates it he doesn't like any of it but he's doing what he's told this is the first time where he's like no no this is that's the right thing to do and a wrong thing to do uh and it was just a powerhouse performance I think from Simon Pegg there yeah which is why Ethan was kind of like taken aback and like Okay, Benji, uh, you you know what you mm. want to do, so you're sweet. Now he's got Benji on his side, so poor old Ethan who's been working by himself for six months. Uh, he also exp- he's goes through what he knows about this syndicate. Basically, all these horrible things have happened around the world. So there was like a big electrical power plant fire in the Philippines. There was a plane went down over from Malaysia or whatever. I think it was like the Malaysia Airlines kind of thing. Mm. And yeah, all these horrible things have happened. But in each case, it had a really serious effect, knock-on effect. Like on the plane was an important head of state. It caused a civil war. Or this thing causes civil war in this country, blah, blah, blah. And so yeah. it's like, it's the syndicate doing these terrorist things to that seem isolated, but actually are working together to destabilize a government to whatever their weird plan e- is. Exactly. And that that's what I was saying. It's that's It sounds like the ravings of a madman, but, you know, it's just believable enough. Yeah. That, you know, it could actually be a wild conspiracy theory. And I think that, you know, what what I got from Simon Pegg in that scene as well is, like, I don't know if I believe you, but I believe that you believe it. And mm-hmm. that's enough for me. Yeah. So we get to meet this uh, mysterious character that Ilsa is working for, who runs a syndicate. Uh, Ilsa's taken back quite uh, battered because she's thrown herself out of the car. And she has to talk to this guy. Do we, have we met his name yet? I think it's a bit, it's coming up soon. Yeah. His, um, his name pops up shortly. So, you know, she's talking to him and she's explaining, like, she has to justify why Ethan Hunt has escaped twice when she's been on the case. And she's, she does a pretty good job of convincing him so much, like, the guy taking her in, which sets it up for her doing this later but she does this amazing takedown <laughs> where she kind of like climbs up flips around and disarms them like around their head yeah like that's that classic james bond like strangling yeah. breaking your neck with your thighs kind of thing but in a really Which cool is way the second time she's done it in the movie because yeah. that's also how she took down one of the guys oh yeah yeah it was like it, it's really cool yeah, that, that's obviously her signature move yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is a good time if it's you, a great if you can finish. do that do it 
great uh, finish. She manages to prove that she's loyal to mm-hmm. this guy still. She thinks she's like, if you're gonna, if you don't believe mm-hmm. me, shoot me, but do it yourself. And she mm-hmm. throws a gun to him and he shoots, but he shoots the guy behind her. So he's like, one more chance, Silsa. Mm-hmm. And he's like, so how are you gonna find Ethan again? And she's like, don't worry, he's gonna find me. I've seen to it. Yes, and again, that's brilliant. That's really, really good because instantly now you go from, okay, she's lying to him to try and protect Ethan to being like, oh shit, maybe she's set Ethan up. Yeah. And like it, her performance keeps oscillating like that. Yeah, like you it, actually don't know. Like she, yeah, she's, her honesty is like, but is confusing everyone who's like, who are you working for? Yeah, it's so fascinating. It's such a good performance. So the way she's told them where she is, is because in her lipstick that she didn't want to give up, actually has a USB in it with all the information that they need to find her and what her next part of the plan is. So off to Morocco, they go. I just, I just got a joke. Yep. I just realized they wrote a joke into the script. Yeah. And that her name is Ilsa and she was hiding at Casablanca, which is the heroine in Casablanca is also named Ilsa. Is it really? Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's that's amazing. That's oh that's the kind of nerdy shit I'd expect from Christopher Macquarie, to be honest. That's that's so good. <laughs> I'm impressed by that. <laughs> um, they find Ilsa. She is swimming and using this weird armband thing that tells her how much oxygen she's using, which is setting up for something coming up real soon, guys. Hello, Chekhov. Nice <laughs> to see you. And they, that's when they start going through what the next stage of the plan is. We also cut back quickly. Brandt is meeting up with Luther and is trying to get him to help him find Ethan before he gets killed by the CIA. Luther's like, fuck you. I don't know you. I don't <laughs> like you. They, they, everyone still hates Brandt in this movie, like the last one. And But he's like, if they catch him and Benji, they will kill them. And so Luther's like, like only because of that that I'm joining you because I hate you. It's really nice to see Luther in these movies. He's, he's a, so good. Like he's one of the few again constant things about this about yep. this series that has so few constants in it. But it's so lovely to see, and he always turns up to work. And that's it was about this point in the movie where I realized everyone is here to do their jobs today. Mm-hmm. Every actor has turned up ready to work. This is them giving their full performance, and I'm like, okay, this is actually a good movie, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Damn straight, it is. The plan that Ethan, Ilsa and Benji get into basically I think it's like a ledger that uh, this. Oh, she says it's, his name is Solomon Lane so we now know this mm-hmm. guy is called Solomon Lane he was a former British intelligence guy mm-hmm. I don't know what their, what their thing is uh, <laughs> MI, spy MI6 yeah MI6 uh, spy dude and he has gone rogue as they always tend to do and he now needs this ledger that is in this really high security facility like nuts security and she's been sent there to get it but she obviously needed Ethan and Benji there because there's no way one person could do this alone so basically to get into the security to get to access the information in this ledger Benji's going to go in and he's like I get to wear a mask and like not quite because it's not about looks it's about you've got to get past all this security and then the final one is this gate analysis as in gate is in how you walk this is just delicious spy bullshit (laughs) i love it it's so wonderful because you know it it is interesting that they've they've obviously gone through and we've done the you know retinal scans have all been done fingerprints yeah yeah no let's go with something completely new which is the idea of identifying someone by the way they walk which is a real thing and so much of this movie is ground in realism Mm -hmm. like this is all very much 
stuff that if they had this technology that they would use, you know, and it's it's so delicious <laughs> that in order to get through, and there's three old school tumbler combination locks to get through to the gate measuring yeah. <laughs> identification. This is why we watch the Mission Impossible movies, the mini heists. Yes, yeah, the mini yeah, heist within a heist within <laughs> yeah. a heist. It's so much fun. If he manages to get in and get past the gate, he can access his information. However, you know, they need to somehow get his information in there. So the only way to do that is the server is in this circular chamber that has water rushing through and the only way in is through this hole that you drop in. Uh, the only way out is through this one exit thing and it shuts down if it detects metal. So basically you can't have a you know, breathing apparatus or anything. You just have to drop in, hold your breath and obviously Ethan's like, I guess I have to do it. So which is why that weird armband thing of Ilsa's comes into play. So they're like, okay, so what you got to do is it takes two minutes to get down through there and then it'll take you about a minute to swap the things over and get out. So you just hold your breath three minutes, right? And he's like, okay, cool. You know, exertion and everything obviously sucks up oxygen as well. So, yeah, he's setting himself up for a really, really bad time. I don't really see why we couldn't have given Benji a mask for this. There's no reason for not having Benji in a mask other than to see Simon Pegg's beautiful face. Well, I think it's because from the third video, Benji just loves masks so much. When they go into the Kremlin, mm. he's like, I'm a little bit bummed I'm not wearing a mask. In the, in the last movie, he's like, they he's meant to wear a mask when mm. he's the uh, butler at the mm. hotel and the thing blows up so mm. he can't. So he's like, okay, I'll just play it French. Like he never gets to wear yeah. the mask and he's so annoyed. It's becoming a bit of a running gag. Yeah, so once again, can't yeah. wear the mask. Sorry, Benji. So yeah, I won't go through all the all the all what they have to do anymore because it is complex. But basically, Ethan is like, okay, he drops in to this hole, cavernous hole down. It also leaves the water rushing so to carry him down as quickly as possible without using any exertion. And then she shuts it off so that he's not spinning around. And it's pretty straightforward. He has to get to 108 and swap this one yellow card for another one, except he unfortunately doesn't realize there's this weird thing swooshing around and just as he's about to do the swap it smashes him in the guts knocks him down and the two yellow cards go floating away so i've been doing a lot of reading on the internet about a thing called sub mechanophobia <laughs> <laughs> which is the fear of man-made objects underwater this really from the moment i saw the hole that the water was running into i'm like oh this is gonna make me uncomfortable so you've got tom cruise swimming around underwater tank filled with what are essentially what look like safe deposit boxes with a giant mechanical arm swinging around. You know he's got three minutes tops to do it. This scene is an anxiety attack. <laughs> <laughs> Compact in a little round chamber. Yeah, it is It is wild. Like, I'm really weird about holding my breath at all, so I can barely hold my breath to go half a lap of a small swimming pool, mm. let alone. And just so you know, Tom Cruise can hold his breath for six full minutes in real life. Oh, well, now we've got the Monkey Island movie cast. Um, <laughs> wow, I didn't know that. That ooh, So I. Mm. So in the making of this, they show him training. So he, he and Rebecca Ferguson trained to hold their breath because she gets involved in a moment. And yeah, he, they timed him for six got to six minutes and like the trainer's like okay tom come up now you're starting to scare people and he just comes up and goes it's me tom cruise <laughs> yeah it's that so the three minutes is actually they think like they've obviously had to cut it down to three minutes because anything more than that is unrealistic seems unrealistic mm. but as it turns out six 
six minutes. That's amazing. His lungs must be just be his whole chest cavity must just be fucking lungs. It's nuts. Oh. So uh, yeah, he he's knocked it over, and then the guys who control you know in the computer room upstairs somewhere go, oh, why is it shut down? We'll just start it back up again, and Ilsa can't override it again. So it's also now a current is speeding around, so like a real proper whirlpool. So he's trying to get these cards. He now doesn't know which card is which. He's panicking. He's almost out of air, and he finally gets them. He finally gets to where he needs to be and just puts it in time before Benji's about to walk through the, the gate analysis tunnel and luckily that all works out fine because he walks through and you know succeeds manages to go get the file but meanwhile Ethan is trying to get out and he is out of oxygen he's mm. only like to 1% just as he's about to pull the exit uh, the thing to exit out of there he runs out of air and just passes out and seems to die it was a really strange end to the movie yeah <laughs> <laughs> And then brave, died, the end. <laughs> brave of Tom Cruise to go through that. Of course, that's not what happened. <laughs> uh, because Ilsa, who is the female British equivalent of Ethan Hunt, dives in there because she realized because she can see how much air he he has and everything. So she dives in there. She manages to catch him and sucks him out and saves his life. Because I guess the contingency plan was if someone gets hurt, there is a defibrillator down at the escape area. <laughs> Thank God he's alive. And Benji comes back and says, "That wasn't so hard, was it, guys?" And he like he sees Ethan like barely alive, and he's like, "Oh shit!" Then you know, Benji's like, "I underestimated you, also. Mm. You've done a really good job." And as he's like talking to Ethan, saying, "Oh, you nearly died, blah blah,", blah she like zaps him with a defibrillator and just runs off with the USB. And he's like, like <laughs> "Such a good, such a good character." Yeah, no, she's like because you can see in her face, like she doesn't, she doesn't want to betray them, but she knows for the greater good, she has to. Like yeah. she, she, and we're gonna find out in a second why she needs that USB. But we have talked for ages. Oh, Jimmy. really? Yeah, uh, like, great. <laughs> I, I, I could talk about, if I could do six hour long podcasts, I would, if I could talk about Mission Impossible the whole time. But we will put a little pause there. We will come back next week with the second half of our review of Rogue Nation. In the meantime, Jimmy, where can we find you online? You can find me online at roleplay underscore James on Twitter, or you can head to www.gm4hire.com.au and book me to run your Dungeons and Dragons game. Nice. Thank you so much. As per usual, it's Tom Cruise Reviews on Instagram, Tom Cruise Review, no S on Twitter, or my website's TomCruiseReviews.com. Thank you for joining us this week, and uh, we'll catch you next week. See you next week. Bye.